Heart takes, not hot takes. This is Everyone is Wrong, a counterintuitive pop culture podcast. I'm your host, Seth Sommerfeld. Thanks for listening. My guest today is himself a writer of sci-fi scripts, which I've seen produced, a reluctant but integral member of Seahawks Twitter, someone who has neither been blacklisted nor redeemed, and someone who would shatter all of Michael Phelps' records if he weren't morally opposed to the Olympic Games. He has cosmically rollerbladed here today to save the Earth by defeating the royal family of haters that have subjugated the Wachowski siblings' 2015 sci-fi epic Jupiter Ascending to a life of scrubbing the cinematic toilet bowl. Everyone is wrong, but Spike Friedman isn't. Thanks for coming on, Spike. Oh, thank you for having me, Seth. Uh, this is an honor and a privilege, uh, and I forget that I wrote sci-fi scripts that you saw, so that is exciting that I get a level of expertise right. uh, that I'm bringing to this that, you know, people should take into account when I when I drop my when I drop my thoughts and knowledge over the next hour. So yes, you're very very committed, very committed to that. Right now, you're kind of more in the city planning realm, but you have done plenty of writing and things of that nature. So I feel like you can have some expertise coming into this conversation. And I'll just say right off the bat that everything I love about this movie. Um, Maybe not the writing per se, although I I don't even want to throw the script under the bus completely because I think that's not fair in a lot of ways. But I'm not here to talk writing for the most part. No. I'm just going to say that. I'm just going to lay that out up top. Uh, scripts are overrated. And I can say that as, <laughs> as someone who's people. written scripts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who needs words and things of that nature? Uh, George Lucas yes. agrees with that. So let's get into the background of Jupiter Ascending. Jupiter Ascending is a 2015 space opera written and directed by the Wachowski siblings. It was, and still is at this point, the first and only original property created by the duo since the Matrix trilogy. The Wachowskis brought back many of the collaborative folks they've been working on since the Matrix, including production designer, costume designer, visual effects leads, etc. So it's a lot of the same crew that people love from the Matrix, even if they don't necessarily love this movie. The film centers around Jupiter Jones, an immigrant cleaning lady played by Mila Kunis. Her universe gets turned upside down when extraterrestrial bounty hunters and assassins start coming after her. One such bounty hunter is Channing Tatum's Kane Wise, a half-human, half-canine splice creature who skates through the cosmos on anti-gravity boots. There is a lot of backstory in this film, which we will get to, but to try and pare it down quickly for the up-top summary, there's a trio of intergalactic oligarch siblings that own many of the planets in the universe. The most ruthless and powerful of the three is Eddie Redmayne's Balem. The siblings' riches come from mining a substance that can essentially keep beings young forever. And Jupiter is the cog in preventing any of the three of them from inheriting the rights to own Earth, thanks to quasi-religious beliefs that have to deal with perfect genome sequencing. Really simple stuff, you know, just very basic, uh, you know, popcorn fare. Uh, <laughs> Jupiter and 
Cain must try to outwit the siblings, not only for their own survival, but for the survival of Earth. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that pretty much nails it. That's, that's kind of what it's about. Uh, the film itself was a box office bomb. The worldwide box office was around $190 million against a budget of around $200 million. So that doesn't seem so bad, but it made less than $50 million domestically and only made $6.5 million on opening day, which is not good. The film sits at a pretty putrid 27% on Rotten Tomatoes, 22% among top critics, and has a barely better audience score of 38%. Here are a few of the things the critics had to say about Jupiter Ascending. Salon's Andrew O'Hare categorized it as a botched, truncated, and possibly unfinished film that began with big dreams and got dragged down by laden commercial reality. A trilogy's worth of space opera crammed into one movie and then abandoned on a frozen February weekend to be squashed by Spongebob. It lost to SpongeBob. That's the story. Which which SpongeBob movie are we talking? I am Bikini not Bob? even sure which one, but I'm okay. pretty sure I'll that is true. We can fact check that. I'll it find was, that out while while we hear more. While bad we hear reviews. more bad reviews, yes. Look in the uh, opening weekend of Jupiter Ascending. NPR's Andrew Lapin wrote: The Wachowskis have a rare ambition for big budget filmmakers, matched only by their consistent inability to follow through with it. The siblings squeeze gigantic philosophies and mythologies into the toothpaste tube of mass appeal sci-fi, and more often than not, they make a mess. He added, Jupiter Ascending is often so ridiculous that it feels like a reverse-engineered Lego movie parody or Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode. As though the Wachowskis started with the things everyone laughs at and worked backwards. That's rude and cruel. Okay, so first of all, it is SpongeBob movie Sponge Out of Water, which made fifty-five million opening weekend. So it made more, more opening Jupiter- weekend than this movie made in its entire theatrical run. Well, and we should be clear that it Jupiter Sending did not come in second over the course of the full weekend. It came in third behind weekend seven of American Sniper. So America, yeah, what a bad uh, country. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, not- parlaying off recent sci-fi that had just come out, Richard Roper for the Chicago Sun Times joked in his review, "Where were the Guardians of Galaxy when we needed them? If only they had prevented the disastrous atrocity that is Jupiter sending from infiltrating Earth's movie theaters before it was too late." Honestly, I think I like this movie more than I like the first Guardians movie. So take that, Richard Roper. You know, <laughs> you still you still can't wear Gene Siskel's pants in my mind. I don't know, is that an expression? I don't think that's. An I don't think that's a walk a closer walk in his shoes, or I don't know. Maybe they're wearing Something. pants. I Toronto stars Peter Howell wrote. Watching Jupiter Ascending is like reading a menu of genre munchies at a drive through B-movie burger stand. On offer is everything from accidental royalty to vengeful cruelty to interstellar insanity, 
with an interspecies romance thrown in as a combo meal prize. That one I don't necessarily disagree with. That's all right. Some, even some of the positive reviews, the people that were urging people to see Jupiter Ascending when it came out were really negative reviews. For example, the Mary Sue's review was simply entitled, Jupiter Ascending is the worst movie ever. Go see it immediately. Mm. On a mm. similar tone, Wesley Morris for Grantland wrote, Upon exiting my wearied delight with Jupiter Ascending coexisted with pure bafflement. But I exited knowing that I'd seen a movie no other filmmaker could have made. Jupiter Ascending is about heating cosmic and genetic destiny, and it is of a piece with what the Wachowskis believe is their artistic destiny. The fight against human vacuousness and the belief in the fight to become who you know you are rather than who you've been programmed to be. Jupiter Ascending and their previous film, Cloud Atlas, are the first since Lana Wachowski came out as transgender, and now their ponderousness has a loose, sloshing, crazy quality. Their filmmaking seems, in a way, free. In the pursuit of some higher truth, the Wachowskis have perfected earnest badness. Mm. So it's there's lots of those kind of backhanded, uh, you know, middling, uh, positive, but, you know, a lot of the positive reviews, the ones that were above, you know, even the three out of five stars were like, they are really going for it. And I admire that they're going for it, even if I don't necessarily like it. And that's how I that's how I went into it the first time, you know, was being like, oh, this is going to either be so bad it's good or like I want to support the idea of this but I think that there is more that is actually good I am going to be making more of an actually good argument than a so bad it's good argument because right that isn't what this is that's about. that's not you know what, what this I mean? is about that's that's not the goal of this show uh there are some legit positive things Mark LaSalle in the San Francisco Chronicle praised Eddie Redmayne's performance quote Hell yeah <laughs> quote, Hell yeah <laughs> Quote, if Redmayne were truly horrible in Jupiter Ascending, why is he one of the most enjoyable things about it? As charming as Kunis is, she has the wit and cosmic timing that reminds me a little of Carol Lombard. People will be walking out of this movie and thinking about Redmayne, and no one will be sorry they saw him. Goddamn right. (laughs) Goddamn right. My favorite film critic to pronounce on this show, the AV Club's Ignati Vishnevetsky wrote, wow. I've, I had that one in Mank too. It's not the easiest name. I had to write it out phonetically, pulling back the curtain. He wrote, what's sort of remarkable is the way the Wachowskis managed to digest all of their high and lowbrow influences into something like a cohesive worldview. These influences include, but are not limited to, Mobius, David Lynch's Dune, entry-level critiques of capitalism, the 1980 Flash Gordon movie, Brazil, which gets both a dialogue reference and a Terry Gilliam cameo, spiritual transmigration, personal transformation, transhumanism. It might not be as compelling a synthesis of pop philosophy 
and geek tastes as the Matrix, but it feels personal in a way that big-budget, effects-driven movies rarely do. Maybe the siblings thing has something to do with it. That is, this is not just a unique vision, but a shared, hashed-out vision. And one final note, Jupiter Ascending won a 2015 Village Voice Film Poll Award for Movie Everyone is Wrong About. So apparently, I am already on their turf. But, Spike, why is everyone wrong about Jupiter Ascending? There are a lot of reasons that everyone is wrong about Jupiter Ascending, except for the people who know that everyone is wrong about Jupiter Ascending, who are obviously right about Jupiter Ascending. Now, at its fundamental, there are... I eat, hmm, Where to start? I want to start at... I want to start at a strange note, which for me is the tone of the film. Okay. And and I don't want to sound like Tipper Gore, because this is how I'm meeting your audience, and that is a dangerous thing, especially the week after Mortal Kombat comes to HBO Max. But re-watching The Matrix during quarantine, the level of, like, gunplay and violence in it, and also going back through some of the Marvel movies uh, as we've had a year of sheer boredom, there's something really off-putting about gunfire to me in films right now. And especially when it is your heroes just icing dude after dude after dude and just like dropping shell casings on the ground over and over again. And you see it in, you know, Captain American Civil War, like you have Black Widow just like executing people over and over again. Right. And in the and in the Matrix, you have so many bullets. Like that's the point of it, is it's all about bullets. And Jupiter Ascending, I don't think there's a normal bullet in the movie. What there are are like a lot of lasers, a lot of pew pew sounds, a lot of explosions, but not that same sort of like I am icing someone by popping a cap in them. And to me, that strikes to the tone that the violence and the action have as a perfect antidote to most of the mediocre action films that we end up watching all the time. I can, yeah, I can see that. There's, it's almost escapist from the normal action movie template in a way. Exactly. Yeah, like when you see someone roll in with a bazooka at Stinger's house, um, you see him like fire off, a, but it shoots out like sound waves and like, you know, flattens a cornfield and all this stuff. And you get a fun pull out to reveal uh, crop circles. Yes, which the is explanation of crop circles is battles <laughs> in cornfields between interspecies creatures extremely on the nose but it's also and also so there's there's the fight in the skyscrapers when uh kane first saves jupiter from uh the little alien guys who can shapeshift yeah uh and that is a fight that happens with nary a pedestrian in sight and then it is explained why the average citizen of chicago was neither affected nor remembers this battle and in a world where there's man of steel where like you're like well that was a body count of six million like i much prefer a film which 
takes that action. Like, I just don't want it anymore. And maybe this is me becoming an old fuddy-duddy, but, like, I love this brand of action. There is a kind of not explained... I mean, this is a movie where there's so much, so there's not total explanation. But during that first fight scene with the ships rolling around... It it's weird because they're they're kind of shape shifting uh, spaceships that they use, so they can kind of go in different directions. And he's jetting around, and at times it seems like they're referencing other like three at parts. It feels like a like a Spider Man chase through a city, and in other parts it feels like the French Connection, like down yes. on the streets. And in other parts it kind of feels like an Iron Man fighting robots in the sky. But it's not. It's definitely not Transformersy in that Michael Bay way where you can't tell what's happening. Exactly. Uh, that's that's a thing. But the one thing they don't explain is at one point they swoop down and basically just take out an elevated train, and it's like <laughs> do. They never totally explain if they they wipe people's memories mission <laughs> yeah. like men in black style so that nobody remembers it and they can like quickly repair buildings with space magic uh, technology. But they never say like were all the people in that train did they just die or was there something to? Yeah, there is a degree to which the vacancy of the city almost gives it like a dark city feel, which is not the actual narrative of the movie Mm -hmm. like it it doesn't quite land that piece of it and it doesn't go the other direction like a quaron where like every death on screen is like made to like make you squirm and something like children of men it's it goes exactly the opposite way the other thing about that fight that you're talking about and i think you did a really great job of describing like the spider-man-esque nature of it is there's a thing that happens a bunch in this movie that i typically don't like um which is someone is falling and someone else takes the most improbable possible arc to prevent them from falling all the way to their death. And you see this, to me, this is the most egregious version of this happens in the first Hobbit movie where they end up in like the goblin cave. Mm -hmm. And there's just like a lot of falling where a lot of Hobbits should die. Those are terrible movies. And if anyone defends those on this podcast, I'll be very interested to hear how they do that. Um, But but like in this movie, A, it's a sci-fi rather than fantasy. And I can always buy it in sci-fi rather than fantasy. Maybe that's the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fan that I am of like improbability with space monsters is like much more plausible than improbability with like dragons and shit. Like that's just like fundamentally true, but also in this one, because it's about identity and destiny and the idea of this woman who is, you know, presented low class and then is actually the queen of the universe functionally, like the idea that, she gets saved in the most improbable way to fulfill her destiny is at least justified thematically in addition to being an action movie vibe that I can get on board with. Whereas sometimes, and it's just like, I feel like it's like late aughts, early teens CGI. It was at a mature enough place that like directors like Michael Bay could start doing whatever the fuck they wanted. And that was to the detriment of the quality of the action. The Wachowskis do it in a way where I'm like, yeah, I'm on board. Like, whatever they're doing is getting me to shut off the part of my brain that's like, come on, man. Uh, 
And so, you know, I think for the purposes of this, that's uh, it's just really effective. I, I just really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I think that's perfectly, perfect, a perfectly natural thing to not want that Man of Steel death trap or the rain of bullets. So, so transitioning into your next defense of the movie. Yeah. Would that be the, okay. So this, I'm going to go with the defense that is a little tougher to pull off. Cause I think, I think I started with an overall, I want to go total to narrow in the order of defenses. And so totalizing the action rules for me, like it's the tone I want right now. And I think it was intentionally done that way, almost as an antidote to the Wachowski's most popular film, which is great. The other thing is the level of complication in the lore in this movie actually fucking rules. This okay, so 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 all right. So there's the matrix. And I I, I think to me, you can't think about Jupiter Ascending without thinking about the Matrix. And like I'll just say my least favorite part about Jupiter Ascending, which is the performance that Channing Tatum gives. God, I wish old Keanu Reeves, like Cyberpunk 2077, Keanu Reeves would have been so much better as Kane. Like it would have, the movie would be, I don't think the movie would have gotten bad reviews if if Keanu Reeves were playing that part. I think it would have been, I think it would have been such a transcendent performance that he could have given as a half dog man in like full John Wick (laughs) mode. It would have been, it just would have worked so well, but okay. So we got to set that aside. And the first matrix movie rules because like all the lore is hinted at. And then the next two movies just dump lore on lore on lore on you. And it's like, I don't care because I was set up to like this very simple story of destiny that we're getting. Jupiter Ascending doesn't have time to like dump all the lore on you. Like what Jupiter Ascending does is it tells like a relatively straightforward story where you're following Jupiter Jones as she goes from being born at sea as like a literal refugee under like, UN standards for refugees. Um, I don't think that's actually the word that we use anymore. Um, But, uh, you know, functionally, that's what we're talking about. And then you move from there to she's cleaning toilets in her 20s. And then you move from there to she's the queen of the universe through uh, a pretty wonderful series i love that brazil sequence too like i just like love that robot getting mad as she navigates the bureaucracy of this weird bureaucrat planet yeah for for those who haven't seen it there basically once jupiter has been established oh you're the queen and now we need to go like make sure you get all your inheritance they have to go through just like dmv after dmv of you have to fill out this paper in order to get your space tattoo, which gives you ownership of the earth. And yes. And even though she's a queen, somehow she has to go through like apparent it's, it's never quite clear of like, this is, there's so many Queens that there has to be in different parts that there has to be this bureaucracy. Cause ever cause yeah. the other siblings seem like so elevated above all this, like, menial stuff but jupiter has to go through uh go stand in lines 
Yeah, you can't picture Belem in that space. Like, there's no way. But that's because he's lived that life his whole life. You know, she's got to get that space tattoo so that she can live that life. Anyway, all that is to say, let's get, like, the lore of this film is overwhelming. There is so much going on in this movie from the family that Jupiter is in of, like, her brother who just wants a big screen TV, her first cousin. Her first cousin. cousin. Her first cousin. Yeah, it's the mother went with the... I think the mother went with her sister and her sister's married to this gruff guy who has who's seems Russian as well, but doesn't speak Russian. Yeah, he's like a Russian immigrant, a a generation earlier, who seems to have a cartel on fancy house cleaning in the city of Chicago. He seems to be like, I don't want to say he's a mafioso. I don't want to put. I don't want to put that idea on him, but he does seem to have an operation where he can dole out cleaning jobs to his family to keep them alive. Also, we know that that Jupiter herself is undocumented. It, it, so that's just like one thread. And then you have, and that's, that's barely <laughs> anything. That's like very, that's like, that is, it gets a lot of screen time and it is the primary narrative of the film. And then you get the Abraxas family, which Oh boy, there is just so much. And what I think is really effective about this movie is somehow you get the, I think you get the right amount of lore delivered to you. Because the the rumor on this movie, or not rumor, I think it's just like the fact is the original script was 600 pages, which sounds right. Yeah, and uh, for those who might not know, typically you're talking in an action movie a hundred pages because like a a typical movie, it's about a page a minute. Action can go longer because you write action in a slightly different way. So yeah, a typical two-hour action movie is 100 to 110 pages. 600 pages is a lot. It's a lot. And like I hear in these negative reviews of the film that like, they did a bad job. It's only, you know, you you can feel what's missing. You can feel, but I'm like, they actually tell a pretty cohesive and coherent story with like 20 recognizable characters by the end. Now I say recognizable. I don't think they're necessarily relatable or perhaps as three-dimensional as you might want, or in the case of again, Kane, like as charming as you need them to be. Uh, yeah, Channing. It's like his worst ever performance. It's very disappointing to to have to reckon with that in this space. But like you do, like that they turn 600 pages into a two hour and seven minute movie that is somehow coherent despite all of the lore being totally invented and complicated and drawing from dozens of influences is pretty spectacular in some way. Like, I just think it's really impressive there. Yeah. There's so much going on and you do watching it. You do feel like you're kind of always catching up and, you know, you've watched it like what? Seven times. Yeah. Something probably. Yeah. This was probably my seventh time. So it's probably easier on multiple viewings, but your first viewing it's very much you are feel like you're behind on information the whole time and you are catching up, but 
you do there's nothing where it's like what is happening here yes. where you feel like you missed a piece of information that needed to be there and you know as you're saying it's so complicated they throw in this is the reason for crop circles and this is the reason for vampires and actually humans aren't from earth they're from here and other things that we'll get into later but there's a lot going on but you actually it does follow it partially because the structure is essentially Mila is either asking questions at all times <laughs> yeah. or Tatum is explaining things at all times, but it's, there's so many information dumps in dialogue in this movie. Yes. And it can That's get, again, it's, it, it's not an elegant script, no, but it is shockingly coherent for a movie that is introducing as many ideas as it is. Right. And I feel like while we're here, it makes sense there is just absolutely no way in 2021 this is a movie. This is absolutely yeah. an HBO show, a Netflix series. This is uh, ten at least like 10 episodes of one season if it's a limited series or multiple seasons because as you if you have a 600 page script, that would be the area where people would work now. That would probably be where yeah. the Wachowskis would want to take this even over a film if they have something that unwieldy because it's just like, oh, we can just do all of this. And, yeah, and their next project was Sensate, right? Like right off of this? Uh, yeah, I think so. Which is a Netflix uh, limited series that sort of has that vibe. But honestly, and here, like... I don't think I would like this as much in that form. And a big piece of that is as, as well acted as some of these characters are, they aren't, they are like something the matrix does exceptionally well is makes you fall in love with all the side characters and then kills some of them pretty quickly on <laughs> right. you. And it's like, well, I am all the way emotionally invested in this. This movie does not get you emotionally invested in its subordinate characters. Like it, it doesn't succeed on that front. And uh, something that is a huge difference in TV compared to movies of what you need to accomplish in the first two hours. I mean, really your first hour is you've got to fall in love with a couple of those characters. If you're going to stick with a series. Right. And I think you have a truly great villain in this movie. And I think Mila Kunis does a good job of like guiding you through. There's a couple moments where she's a little too quippy for my taste. And like, but I, I'm not like, oh, I really love these characters. I want to spend seven hours with them. Like that isn't right. what I feel. Like I'm more like dipping into this universe is purely fun and interesting and like something I want to do from time to time. And this is the perfect dose of that for me. Right. Whereas like the 10 hour version is like, even just thinking about like putting on episode four of this, I'm like, <laughs> Oh no, like yeah. just get it done. I mean, I, I'm much more of a movie than a TV person and it's, you even watching something like Game of Thrones, I watched probably like a season and a half of that, and I was like, okay, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to spend another, you know, <laughs> eight years, yeah, so long with it. And I'm like, I, I, I get it. It's, it. So yeah, 
I'm just, I'm not saying it would be better in that form. No, I think you're it would right be, to say it, that. But it would just how they would wouldn't it, it be it wouldn't exist in this form in current just with how it's structured. And and I think this is something that the like backhanded positive reviews hit on and I agree with, which is like this is the sort of movie it is heartbreaking can't really get made anymore. Like it totally off the dome sci-fi epic of this nature with no underpinning of a novel series that people love or any or like a comic book realist like realistically the sci-fi we're going to get over the next 10 years is more star wars and a version of marvel that tilts towards aliens right and like i mean that's that's, that is definitely where marvel's headed with their next handful of things it's just like well and like it's going to be a lot of B pluses and like, that's fine. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to watch some of it probably like, I'm like, probably I'll watch some of it and I'll enjoy it, but we're not going to get sheer inventiveness and like artistic execution. I mean, although like we are getting Chloe Zhao doing the Eternals, which I don't know exactly. I, I don't no know what that's going to be. I've been, I've been <laughs> like, cause I'm, it's even worse because I wish it would have in a non-pandemic year that was supposed to come out last year and just having originally it was supposed to come out in 2020, I believe, and having the Eternals and Nomad Land from the same director in the same year would have just been wonderful. What was it? There was one recently that it wasn't like that, but I'm trying to remember. Didn't the uh, the guy who drew... Who was it? It was I mean, the, tr- there was the I don't guy, know how recent we're talking. I'm t- there, like, there was I'm just talking about wide breasts. There was recently one like the guy who did it was one of the hated like maybe the carpenter or something. Like there was a one of the guys was up for the Razzie for best direct worst director oh, and the, the Oscar. Cobbler. The cobbler it was the and, cobbler and and was, it was it something like really Spotlight good or something like that? Yeah, it was absolutely something like that. Because, like, you know, like Traffic and Aaron Brockovich is obviously like the best, you know, one two punch or like Coppola back in the day. Um, but yeah, it was the cobbler Tom, McCarthy. It was Tom McCarthy. It was the I think it might have been Spotlight, the car, the. <laughs> In the same spotlight, this yeah, in the same it was spotlight, yeah, my god. <laughs> and I mean, I, I don't think the Eternals would have been the cobbler, but just having movies, a director release two movies that are very different in the same year, uh, yeah, is always interesting, but yeah, uh, well, moving on to your third article of defense, yeah, let's uh, let's go again, we're gonna stick broad before well no you you hinted at this one and let's just get to it right now mm-hmm. which is any movie that actively justifies the existence and extinction of dinosaurs is good and i i and and, and when i say any movie i mean any any piece of fiction there is uh i think it's pronounced lucy shin uh the guy who wrote the three body problem uh and the wandering earth he's a chinese science fiction writer and the story collection that the wandering earth is a piece of has like a story where you're like wait what is this about and the answer is like oh this is about how dinosaurs are coming back to earth to reclaim the planet hell yeah and it gets into like (laughs) why they left in the first place and and it's like you don't know that for a while but it's like 
raptors got smart and then built spaceships and stuff and like as a kid i was always like you know you think about the the scope of the you know crustaceous and jurassic and triassic period is hundreds of millions of years versus the amount of time homo sapiens have been on earth and you're like yeah i mean we could have had a period of hyper evolution of raptors that lasted fifteen thousand years that ended in nuclear annihilation of any fossil evidence that they existed and evolved in that way and so that's always been a thought that amused me <laughs> and jupiter ascending has space dinosaurs do, do you want to that, set do you want to set up how they actually present present the extinction of dinosaurs in this movie I am I I don't I uh okay uh I don't feel give me a second cuz like I want to make sure I'm getting it right well it, like, it it's brought up it's brought they, up like it's the, when Stinger the abrupt- he's doing another info dump on Mila Kunitz uh, explaining that she's the queen and that humans were Art from Earth, I believe, originally. Yes, and they seeded, it's the Abraxas family seeded Earth, but when they got to Earth, there was already a hyper-intelligent, like, dominant species, and they had to seed an extinction event to get rid of the dinosaurs so that they could populate the Earth with people that they could then massively exterminate to create a uh, liquid that could then be consumed to keep themselves young. Good, simple lore, you know. (laughs) Uh, Again, this is a two-hour and seven-minute movie. It is not... It is a lot packed in there. It's also funny because in the sequence, he's showing... He's going to, like... He gets, like, a tablet, like a future 3D projection tablet to, like, show... Uh, Jupiter, how this happened or something? It was gonna show projections or images, and it just like fritzes out mm-hmm. <laughs> the tablet that he has. It's just like, uh, and then he's like, I guess I just have to explain this. And it's like, wait, <laughs> I want the tablet to work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to see whatever the hologram of hyper evolved dinosaurs being taken out by an asteroid or whatever. What I loved it, like, so this all happened theoretically 60 million years ago. Like, I don't think this movie presupposes a different geologic timeline than the one that we understand. And now whatever is left of dinosaurs 60 million years later are just like the bodyguards for the worst, richest people in the universe. Yeah. And like assassins for them. And like there's a moment where this Russian family of immigrants gets attacked by flying dinosaurs. Right. And they are not really at this point in the movie plugged into any of what's going on. (laughs) They are not aware that aliens exist yet, much less that dinosaurs are now aliens and are in the employ of the aliens who rule Earth. And or own Earth through a series of very complicated Simple. familial relationships. And they are they freak the fuck out. And that's good. There, there are some moments in this movie where uh Mila Kunis takes in a lot and is like, all right, like she reacts early on and freaks out, but like there's a certain point where you could just be like, Well, she can't react huge to everything. Like clearly the direction was like at a certain point you just gotta accept whatever is yeah. being thrown at you. In a weird way, it kind of makes sense because there's a point where 
you know, after she's been like kidnapped four times or whatever, <laughs> they keep on doing more info dubs on her, and she's just kind of like staring out in the wind, like window of space, yeah. and being like, "Yeah, like whatever." Uh, <laughs> where it's just like I don't. At some point, because this also all takes place in like three day, two three days, maybe like timeline. No, it's got to be longer than that, right? But does it, it only seem like because because she like uh, it's hard to tell because the space travel seems pretty instantaneous. Yeah, she's not and gone. Totally she's not unexplained. gone long enough for like her family to be like where. When they cut back to the family when they're about to get attacked by dinosaurs, it's still the cousin explaining how he has this. There's a scheme where he is selling her eggs at a thing and he bought a bunch of stuff. And he's still explaining that when the dinosaurs come to attack them, which means they're not even like concerned that she's been gone for that long. Yeah. Because. Yeah. And to be clear, just so people are aware. Uh, Vanessa Kirby playing Catherine Dunleavy, a name that gets thrown around a whole bunch um, because like it, it is very important that people think Jupiter Jones and Catherine Dunleavy are the same person for like the first 40 minutes of this movie to work. So they say the name Catherine Dunleavy, like a hundred different alien races say the name Catherine Dunleavy <laughs> in different accents. Um but yeah, like Jupiter Jones, Mila Kunis pretends to be Vanessa Kirby, Catherine Dunleavy in order to sell her eggs at the highest rate possible so that Jupiter can buy a golden telescope to echo the vibe that her father had. Her father, who was assassinated by the Russian mafia, leading to her mother leaving pregnant from Russia. This is a very uh, simple movie. With It's easy to follow. <laughs> And also, the cousin just wants like a big TV. There are and... like yeah, there are so many. Again, this is point is essentially about dinosaurs. There's like eight things to go off of that. Why Mila has to loop in the cousin for more money than she's getting for her own eggs. Why the Russian mafia comes in like steals things for like twenty seconds and then like bounces in yeah. the original thing. Where it's like a te- it's like a SWAT team of Russian mafia that just like come. But it in. just seems like they're just stealing. It might just be like a home invasion. It doesn't seem like they are. It, it's just very highly coordinated is, for it, and it doesn't seem like it's connected to anything. No, like, yeah, her father isn't. Her father is only killed because he loves his telescope. <laughs> that he tries to make them not steal the telescope, and they like shoot him on the way out. Yeah, it isn't like an assassination of her father, who is, I think, in the lore meant to be like a meaningful astronomer within the world of Russian academia. I think like that seems to it be seemed, like his position. There, it seems like there was definitely if there's 600 pages, there were at least another 10 to 15 pages that would yeah. have explained mm-hmm. her father's lore. Uh, anyway, dinosaurs. It's cool that they explain them. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I don't know. Like, it's better. Uh, yeah, exactly. And like this movie, as we mentioned, crop circles. Like again, just like being like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna also handle why you think they're why they're dinosaurs. We're gonna handle it and why they're all dead. Like, don't worry, we got this. Is 
item 17 on the list, but they do it. And like, again, it's just something it, it's a point that's in your wheelhouse that it's it hits you personally that you lo- I love, love that they do it. I just love that they I just love that they do that. And I think it speaks to a larger success of the film, which is just like it is loaded. Man, this film is packed to the goddamn gills with movie. <laughs> so transitioning from that to your fourth point of defense. Yeah, let's let's get into it. Eddie Redmayne, uh, spectacular. Maybe the greatest performance he's ever given. Now, I haven't seen The Danish Girl, so I don't really know. Problematic to cast. And like... You know, this is a movie made by trans filmmakers who, and like, you know, there's talk, like the Wesley Morris review that you cited talks about like, there's some overtones in that in terms of species hybridization in this movie that we have, we haven't even talked about Stinger really, Sean Bean, who is like half B. He's the one Um, who does the dino explanation, but that, yeah, that's, we didn't even technically cite him, but yeah, it's Sean Bean too who rules, but. Yeah, Eddie Redmayne. Okay, so I should I, I should state this. first, you're you're defending Eddie Redmayne, who won the Razzie for worst supporting actor for this performance. <laughs> yeah, and that's the stupidest shit ever. Because okay, so and I've talked about how I don't like Channing Tatum in this movie. Now, Eddie Redmayne knows exactly what fucking movie he is in. He nails the tone of this at every beat he is the villain of this film and he is a spoiled hundred thousand year old intergalactic rich kid who cares only about his own power and he speaks in exactly two vocal registers one being menacing whisper and the other being screaming lunatic he is Eddie it's very much of this tone when he's dictating his orders to it's not a great impression, but that's the tone. That's good. That that's the, the tone yeah. of it. It's either that or like, go get them. Yes. Um, only those two. And and kind of just, it's the sinewy, like, uh, like you feel like you need to like crunch up your body to make the like whispers, even though he's not totally doing it. It's a rasp and it's a, he is sinking his teeth into this. Going back to a previous episode, the episode on Mr. Brooks, where we talked about how we kind of wish everybody was in the same movie that William Hurt was in. Yes. In that movie, I wish that everybody was in the same movie that Eddie Redmayne is. Because Eddie Redmayne yes. is very much in the best version of this movie. Exactly. I exactly. 100% agree with you that he is excellent in this. He is having so much fun. It's also similar to Palpatine in the prequel trilogies yes. where Ian McDermott is just having a blast doing this and giving more energy. Is it Eddie Redmayne's character Balam isn't a high energy character necessarily? But it's the right energy character. 
he crackles when it is on screen. Like, like it. this is a sort of movie, again, I've watched it a bunch, and part of why I watch it is, like, it is loaded with story, and also, like, you can kind of look at your phone or, like, do work in the background. Like, it's, it's just, like, fun and, like, silly. When he is on screen, you cannot take your eyes off of him. He is a compelling figure, and he is, like, he is embodying something. Like, you feel like he is basing, like, this is, like, the shittiest rich kid at like a British public school, but if if they had been alive for a hundred thousand years, but allowed to stay seventeen that whole time, mm-hmm. like he's nailing it. Mm-hmm. He's just fucking nailing it. And like the idea that people think this is bad, it just like speaks to like a misunderstanding of what film performance can and should be. Yeah. Like the idea that you would think that this is bad or like the worst thing is just ludicrous. I, no. I hate the Razzies. Can I just say, yeah. I hate the fucking Razzies? Like, fuck that shit. Like, oh, God. Yet Roadhouse was like nominated for like eight Razzies. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? That movie rules. Like, stop it. Like, also, hate- the Razzies can sometimes work when they're making fun of something that like is bad and problematic. Like, the see a movie this year um, sure but it's also weird when it's not taking shots at when it's either not understanding something like the eddie redmayne role or like taking shots at things where it's like why are you taking a shot at this like lauren lapkus was up for a razzie this year it's like she's not what? a movie star for wait the, also for the, she's good wait, in the in, in the, the other movie yeah yeah she's fucking good in that <laughs> right like then, again like she's in the best version of that movie like what the fuck like <laughs> fuck that like god that makes me so angry uh and speaking, like, under yeah. like under the cherry moon won a razzie like fuck off like that's f- good like what <laughs> Like Cocktail won a Razzie. Like Roadhouse was nominated for a Razzie the year that Driving Miss Daisy won the Oscar. Roadhouse is a better movie than Driving Miss Daisy. Like get the fuck out of here. Like who? Like, oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. And also speaking to kind of this point, uh, Eddie Redmayne has since like kind of distance himself from this role and there was even a vanity fair uh post by laura bradley which had the title in a tragic mistake eddie redmayne disses his perfect jupiter ascending performance yeah exactly oh great now we're gonna get more of him not being interesting on screen (laughs) we're gonna get more of the the, razzies more of the chicago trial of the chicago seven a crackling made for tv movie i didn't see that it's uh it's it's a perfectly average TV movie that for some reason was up for a bunch of Oscars. I know it's a weird year, but it was also up for best cinematography and it's a courtroom movie that doesn't have good cinematography and Emma was not up for any cinematography or production design awards. Oh, weird. Yeah, Emma's beautiful. And Emma's so pretty. <sighs> That's one of the... This is could be multiple episode theme of me just being mad about Emma because it's just post Oscar season. Um, yes, but yeah. So Eddie Redmayne, it's it's frustrating because you want more of this. He's very fun. He is very going for it. He is everything you'd want in a sci-fi villain of this sort. He's the you know planetary billionaire 
without even trying to do any fake BS philanthropy <laughs> projects. Yeah. He's just like, nah, I'm just going to be rich and evil. You know, at some point, I think he even says in one of the climactic scenes, like, the only thing that matters is creating profit. That is all meaning or something to that effect. Yeah. But, you know, that might kind of transition into your... Yeah, the last point. <laughs> the last with- effects. <laughs> Which is that this is a film with both anti-capitalist overtones and undertones. All the tones of this movie are anti-capitalist, whether it is the way in which Mila Kunis is cleaning toilets at both the beginning and end of the movie, even after she is literal queen of the universe, uh, especially in the presentation of the Abraxas family as people just using up humans. Again, you have to look at the Matrix as the antecedent to this. And I think the Matrix obviously visually does it in a much more compelling way with like the battery fields of the, you know, the the, the ravaged earth. But there's something very understated of like what is essentially like a pyramid of Voss water bottles that represent the same thing that like those like huge towers of human batteries represent in the Matrix. Yeah, if we haven't totally explained it, essentially <laughs> their their business, this family business that makes them space oligarchs is that they seed planets, then they harvest people. They go through like a conveyor belt and you basically take a hundred people and it turns into this block of liquid blue glowing goo. And if you take like a bath in it, suddenly you are back to your youth within a few seconds. And that's how they're living forever and ever. And that their their thing essentially is the most valuable thing in the universe is time. And we are peddling in this thing that gives you more time. Yes. Yes. And rich people get all the time forever. And the average and even like the the elite soldiers, like they get paid in one bottle of this shit that like are the Abraxas family is literally bathing in. And the class disparities on display throughout and like who gets to live, who gets to die is fantastic. I'd also just before we move fully on from Eddie Redmayne, I want to yes. say like I just looked up. I was like, who's playing uh, Baron Harkonnen in the uh, Villeneuve the new Dune. Uh, Dune? And it's Stellan Skarsgård. And there's something of like Eddie Redmayne in this movie gives a glimpse at a future where he becomes Stellan Skarsgård. And like, I want that future. Like he'd rule as that as he ages and instead we're going to get a more boring career out of it. A lot of the self-important Oscar Beatty kind of roles because exactly now he's been burned and he doesn't want to take the chance. Yeah. And, and, and like, also, and even I also like, I'm not that I'd want this for him, but it also having this in the catalog removes like nobody in none of the leads in any of this are in any of the big franchise tentpole like things where it's just like maybe now he could be a good Marvel villain for a movie or something, but maybe yeah, this prevents that as well. Exactly. Like he really could in a way that the other two of Brax's siblings are in, in a film where I really don't like one of the lead performances. I really do like one. A lot of them are pretty middling. Uh, like the other two of Brax's siblings are giving 
you know, league average, like slightly above replacement level performance. They're very, they're very stock characters. It's Tuppence Middleton and then some guy, Douglas Booth, who I, I'm not as familiar He's with. He's just, yeah, the sister is just kind of the quote unquote nice one in the family because she's just doesn't be go as far with her kidnapping and backstabbing <laughs> plans. Uh, she's, she's just like, less look, obsessed she's with just murder. like, yeah, no, she's just obsessed with like bathing in the goo from dead people to stay alive forever. And she's like, well, this will help me if we just like team up. And the other uh, brother, not Balam, is like the lusty, I lie about everything. And he's just kind of the conniving one where Balam's just like, no, I'm, I'm just going to kill you or kill your family if you don't put your tattoo on my tablet and give me the earth. And there is a moment because her family, just to be clear, gets kidnapped. The dinosaurs start torturing them and are going to kill them on, on a underneath a transparent floor that Eddie Redmayne and Jupiter are on. Obviously, this is all obvious. Obvious. The, the simple movie. Clear. It's a simple two hour movie. Simplest. But there is like a moment where like they're having to like evacuate them out. And like there's something about like the weirdness of them like pushing floating bodies. <laughs> it's so weird. And it's very, it's very much the same sort of weirdness of level two in Inception, where Joseph Gordon-Levitt has to like tie all the people together with like a phone cord so that even when it's in zero gravity, he can like make their bodies wake up or what? Like it is very, like we talked about the action in this movie, and there's nothing about it that is really Nolan esque. <laughs> like, no, but the like the strangeness of how things move at certain points was weirdly evocative to me of some of the better Nolan action. Yeah. Um, not that I'm like a huge Nolan guy, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, but back to all your, of that is yeah. to say uh, anti-capitalism. Capitalism is bad. It's not going well right now. I don't know if people have noticed, but it's been a bad, it's been a bad uh, couple decades for capitalism. And this film, Or a great couple of decades for capitalism. It's been a great couple of decades <laughs> for capitalists. Yes. Um, yeah. It's, it's, but like, I don't know. I just, I feel like we just saw in Falcon and Winter Soldiers, spoiler alerts, that racism gets solved through like uh, a good talk. And like this movie solves the anti-capitalism problem by like killing the bad guy. And like, I don't know, like I kind of like that. And I kind of like that this is just like on the nose about the exploitation of labor and like the idea of like breaking down a person's life in a couple different ways on a couple different levels that echo each other nicely. And it, it, it is all thematically in terms of the subject matter of a piece, like in terms of how the story gets told, like there's like, you know, like the stuff on the like main ship that we end up on with like, this sort of like bureaucrats and army-ish people doesn't really feel like it's of the same movie of dinosaurs kidnapping Russians. And like those end up juxtaposed for the third act of the film in a way that is not maybe as like tonally coherent as you would want at that moment in the movie. 
but like thematically throughout you are like yeah this is all operating together again this is an incredibly complicated high wire act that people basically dismissed because it succeeded at the most difficult pieces of that high wire act while botching a couple of the other like Mm -hmm. moves that it was making at that time and you know going to that anti-capitalist point one of the things one of the parallels that the movie makes it's weirdly not as forceful as I think it could have been is at the beginning Mila Kunitz is waking up every day scrubbing these rich people's toilets waking up every day just muttering like I hate my life like yeah I hate my life I hate my life like a couple times and then in the climactic sequence Balam is like Jupiter when because basically they're it's the same G gene sequence so they keep referring to her as their mother so when you were my mother you hated your life and it's like oh the queen of the universe also you know was killed because uh, allegedly he says because she hated her life so there's the on the both ends of the scale it doesn't necessarily equal happiness it's just yeah I think that was kind of hinted at, but not totally done. And I would also like to point out this movie is anti-capitalist in the fact that it did not make money. (laughs) Yes, it is (laughs) anti-capitalist. Yeah, I mean, like, honestly, it's anti-capitalist in the fact that it was not a sure thing. Mm -hmm. Like, so you can't make a $200 million movie right now without it being a sure thing, basically. Like, like, I... Again, like Nolan can make a two hundred million dollar movie. Tenant didn't make them. I think Tenant would have made it. Tenant would have. Tenant's hard. It's just I feel like that's a no score, like incomplete grade because exactly. it's just like nobody was going to movies. Yeah. If, if Tenant comes like, out in two months and theaters are at fifty percent capacity at some places or whatever, I feel like it at least makes it money back because yeah. people are like, and that is what like Tenant is now what is considered a risk. And like that movie is like, like it is, it is complicated, but it is clockwork. Like it is not like tonally risky. Right. Um, the performances in it, they're again, like I think it has a similar vibe. I don't know, like again, comparing this movie to Nolan is just bonkers. And I realize that, but it has like a similar vibe where there is like a very lively supporting performance around some pretty like kind of dreary. Performances, right. and I'm speaking of Robert Pattinson. Yeah, Robert Pattinson is great. Brown. I would have been. It's, it's one of the so best. Good. One of the best performances. His favorite right? performance, like, and one of the best performances of last year. I yes. I, I had it on my like, like short nowhere. list for like supporting actor for of my personal supporting actor for like yes. most of the time. It it was like definitely he, top five or six. How is he so good in that role? It's like just it's, like it's not a role that seems like it has the room to be as good in it as he is. Right. And it's in a Christopher. He somehow brings like this swagger and humanity to a Christopher Nolan movie where Christopher Nolan movies are not high on uh, humanity and swagger generally from no. like, their characters. No, they're high on like, yeah, like the like, I, I guess like Tom Hardy in Inception. Yeah. does something similar in a small but like that is really a small pick your spots little bit of a right. performance this is like third lead for you know it's a weird i don't know it's weird i like that movie uh i don't love that movie but i like that movie yeah uh, anyway yeah sorry to talk about tenant uh, no it's fine know. we're we're bouncing around yeah i don't care yeah 
It's my yeah. podcast. I'll do weird things. <laughs> yeah. And anyway, uh, Jupiter Ascending. Yeah, it's a $200 million movie about how rich people use up poor people in dozens of different ways and how the feeling of being rich and poor doesn't change your humanity. But it doesn't, that is not the over, like that gets hit on, but it isn't the over, that doesn't like undo the abuse and exploitation. You know what I mean? Like, which I think is good. Like, is there, that could have been a way to wriggle out of the core of the movie and it doesn't do that. And again, this is a two hour, seven minute movie. And I'm like, we are like leaving out, like, like we barely talked about the fact that Channing Tatum uh, says like, I'm half dog. And Mila Kunis is like, but I like dogs. Yeah, well, let's, let's get to that. I think, I think you've made a solid five points in argument. Let's kind of get to the rebuttal junk drawer (laughs) segment where we just throw out other topics that kind of need uh, need touching on. So for starters, there, there's this weird, as you mentioned, first off, Channing Tatum is a dog person that it's like, also it's probably if you're saying like 75% human, 25% dog, they don't go like full dog. They mainly kind of give like Spock ears and they don't totally go for they that. They really don't go full dog. Also the dog used to have wings. Yes. Uh, but yeah, there's a scene where they are, okay, I guess let's go broader for a second. The chemistry between these two leads can only be described as, uh, Padme and Anakin-esque. And I think that's being, uh, unkind to Padme and Anakin. Oh, no. (laughs) I feel like, I feel like I at least, I at least believe that, Anakin wants Padme more than I am ever really believing why me Lacunitz is all of a sudden in love with this dog man. Yes, it is utterly implausible and unnecessary that yeah. that be the way that that resolves. Uh, I would just say that Mila Kunis is much more human in their scenes than Portman. I mean, again, it's a weird parallel given that they're most right critically acclaimed movie was together the two of them uh, yeah Kunis and portman obviously in black swan i just feel like portman gives her absolute worst fucking performance no portman's portman's two portman's not good in the prequel trilogies she's straight up bad and particularly uh, episode particularly two. episode two which is the romantic one but yes as you were saying they're having her first sequence where she's trying to kind of flirt with Kane and he is not having any of it and basically says you're like he's always saying like your majesty and being very deferential and he's like essentially like you're a queen and I'm like part dog and she just blurts out I love dogs <laughs> not good it's, and like the her majesty bit it falls flat like honestly yeah. I just think Channing Tatum is He's bad. not he's not he's he, not good on this. Bad in this movie. And I like him in so many other things. Like I, I and like maybe it's just Soderbergh things, but like he's great in Magic Mike. He's I think he's good in Logan Lucky. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think he can be very good and charming. And this is just a huge mess. And yeah. I couldn't even tell you why. Like I'm not even like I don't know if it's that he wasn't committed or that he wasn't cast right or that like something was off in that part for him. 
I, I can't think of anyone better than old Keanu to play that part. Um, but like they're like, there's, I can't think there, of anyone who of would like, give a worse performance. Yeah. It's he's, his character is supposed to be kind of grizzled and gruff and you don't really feel that at any point. You kind of feel like he's just more moody. Yeah. Kind of like silent type moody. And yeah. So there's the slight bestiality aspects. There's slight incest aspects when the one sibling is trying to marry essentially his mom and kind of goes on. That's that's strange. The humor in this movie really doesn't work for me. There's very clear spots where there's there's supposed to be like laugh lines, uh, you know, quips or things like that. Uh, and they just don't land. So that's that's part of an issue with me. I have an issue with something, and I just looked up who it is, and it, it surprises me, which is I think the score is too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's Giacchino, uh, who I generally like his scores. He does a lot of the Marvels. He does Mission Impossibles now. He does a lot of Disney rides. He actually redid Space Mountain. I'm a weird theme park guy. Yeah, like the Space Mar- Mountain in LA. He does the theme too, and it whips. Uh, he did Incredibles. I think that's maybe his best score in some ways. Even though I don't like that movie as much as most people do, um, I think it's really well scored. I don't know. It's it, 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 This just felt very generic and like overbearing as if they didn't trust the audience to follow the emotional curve. And like, I get that because like the performances are a little all over the place and there are info dumps everywhere. But like, I think that the film is sufficiently coherent. And again, like compared to like a Matrix sequel, the info dumps are at least character driven in this, as opposed to being info dumps for the sake of that. Like they could have gotten away dialing the score back 30%. Yeah. I, I, I don't disagree with that. My, my main issue, I think with Jupiter ascending, it has to do with the look in various ways, be it the production design, the makeup, the and just kind of some of the visual effects generally the makeup looks cheesy in sort of a flash gordon-y way that can just mm. it, to me it doesn't look sharp like it doesn't look like sharp in the way that like star wars characters look sharp in yeah uh, like creatures it looks you know, there's some like there's an elephant man that's driving an elephant man splice that's one of the spaceship drivers who pops up like two or three times. He's no John Merrick, but he's an elephant man nonetheless. And just generally, it's it's lots of the big thing like majestic scenes. There's the wedding looks pretty good, and there's some cool design with her with Jupiter's costume there. But generally, it looks very... The visual effects don't work for me. It just looks fake in a way that seems cheesy fake instead of engrossing me in the world. I mean, Calyx Home just feels like... This is definitely not Naboo. This is definitely not like Bargain Basement Naboo that we're going to, but it has all the same kind of characteristics. I hear what you mean. Like, 
like the dinosaur design is a little uncanny valley almost where it's and i don't mean that it's not actually uncanny valley because it isn't repulsive no but it is like going for a type of like realism texturally that it doesn't need to it's a little like like super mario brothers the movie with their dinosaur types a little bit. Also, wait, I just learned about uh, the score. They recorded the score before filming was complete. And that's, that's like a, a bad thing. idea. That's like a thing that they did on purpose after Cloud Atlas where they tried it and like that. But what? That's not a good idea. Uh, I, don't, I don't agree. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there's also, I mean, kind of just as a capper, I, I feel like maybe... There's some lines in the movie that are just that are kind of seeming to be edgy and not funny or or like majestic and come off as funny. Like the funniest movement moments in the movie are often not clearly not supposed to be as funny as they are. Lines like bees don't lie or in the opening, which is how they determine that. Jupiter is a queen as the bees follow her every movement. That's it's too clever for its own good at that point. And then and then she kind of has bee powers like she's able to like sick the bees on people for a minute when the when the people come to get her. She's sort of an X-Men maybe. Um, (laughs) There's lots of the one of the many hidden X-Men movies. Yeah. And even like kind of the tone in the script that sometimes doesn't work is I think maybe best embodied by the opening. There's kind of the grand, they have the cold open where they do the whole backstory where she's an immigrant and her father dies and all of that and how she was born and they're crossing and the stars were in the right point. And my aunt told me that this astrology means I'm destined for love and all these things. And then the line is the problem with astrology, it it's total bullshit or something to yeah, that. And then it's like a, credits, and it's, yeah. title credit, and it's just like, ooh, like that's not oh, not nailing the should. land. You're like trying to be like cool and edgy in a way that like, I don't know. Like they could have like it's it's like their movies typically the scripts don't work during the information dumps when they don't work the Wachowskis but in this movie weirdly what they needed was someone to like punch up all the rest of the dialogue yeah again which is not usually their problem there's so many information dumps and they're arduous to get through sometimes but they work in the it makes sense why the character is saying this. And it gets across the information needed. But then when there's interpersonal things in between, it's astrology is bullshit and I love dogs and things of that nature. Where yes. there's clearly not somebody with the clout to tell the Wachowskis, maybe not that? Yeah, or just like someone with an ear for like, again, it just needed like a punch up. like. Yeah. And like, especially since some of that stuff is VO or ADR, it's like they, it, it that's, that is where it's unfortunate. Because I agree with the look thing is like, in total, the design doesn't add up to cool, which like I can stomach, but like, 
you know, there's a version of this movie that's like maybe a little slicker and more coherent design wise. I totally agree. But like I can stomach where it's at. The fact that they especially like, you know, you invest enough money in the design. It's tough to change that unless it's Shrek or whatever. Um, but the the dialogue piece, like, yeah, it's just like given that it's VO, given how much it's ADR, like just fix that in post. Like it, it is one post cleanup or, or set of reshoots away from like me not being on this podcast talking about this movie because, you know what I mean? because people just like it generally yeah it's exactly it's it's not <laughs> like, so i don't i i will i guess i'll cap it saying i don't particularly like this movie but i don't necessarily disagree with any of your points i don't know how anybody could not see the potential of this movie it just depends on how much you think it lands it sticks the landing it's like it's yeah. the it's the gymnast going off on the vault and they're doing four flips and five things and some people see them l- land and maybe take that little like half step and like pull back and you're like that's still going to be a good score and other people being like oh they landed on their face yeah it's a well or like in gymnast terms it's a huge step but i think like to to bring it back to the olympics which again i do not stand the olympics but it's a huge splash on a great dive you know what i mean like it 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 nails so many of the difficult pieces and then it does not enter the water cleanly but it but also i can do a dot I can do a dive where it's not a big splash, but I can't do any of the somersaults exactly. and flips. And, and like stuff only like that. the Wachowskis so. can and are given the ability to do so. And and that and that like point of like we need more shit like this. Like we just like that is real. Like we just do need more of this in the world. Spoiler alert, this definitely won't be with how people are pitching me, this will not be the last Wachowskis episode. <laughs> Of this yeah, podcast, I feel like I feel like you could do Matrix sequels, although I don't like them. Speed Racer, there's got to be Speed Racer. They're, they're, I've I've had pitches for everything except for Cloud Atlas. Yeah, so well, and far. I assume Matrix One because so, that. Well, yeah, because that. Well, nobody's done the counter yeah. like Matrix isn't good, even though I am probably on the like lower end of Matrix One fans. I... Uh, I, I don't I don't I don't love that. Oh, movie. interesting. But uh, but I'm not I'm not on the on the spectrum where I'm going to come on here and argue that it's actually not. Yeah, good. that would be I mean, it would be a tough argument. It's be a big really take. effective <laughs> in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. I would I'm I'm I would possibly the one Matrix argument that it's not an episode worth one. And it was mentioned on the first episode is I think there is a small case to be made that Phantom Menace could have won best visual effects over the Matrix. Despite the Matrix having better visual, like its visual effects scenes work more, the Phantom Menace has a, like the first fully CGI character who you might not like, but works as a like character that's in a not distracting way and doesn't look bad. And, yes, uh, the look of Jar Jar Binks is not the problem of Jar Jar Binks. The look of Jar Jar Binks is not the problem. Anyway, so Jupiter Ascending, thanks for coming on again, Spike. Is there anything you would like to plug on your way yeah, out of I'm here? I'm going to plug, and I believe you can get there by just typing LASD Gangs 
com. I think that gets you there. It's a series of articles that like a, a, a website I added for Rian about the history of gangs within the LA Sheriff's Department. Uh, so if you want to listen to that or read that, it's like 15 pieces by a local journalist here in LA, Cerise Castle, and it rules. And so I'm going to plug that. And I'm going to plug in terms of good sci-fi, uh, just read Ursula Le Guin's Hainer Cycle, uh, The Dispossessed Rules, uh, Left-Handed Darkness, I don't know. Those are great. And then like, honestly, like five ways to forgiveness is like five short stories that are a little more in a Jupiter ascending esque realm. But like she deals with gender in sci-fi better than anyone. Left hand of darkness deals with like intersex and trans issues in a way where it's just like so baked into the story. And these stories are incredible and she's the best. So uh, plugging Ursula Le Guin and LASDgangs.com. <laughs> you know the normal <laughs> plugs the normal plugs thank you so much <laughs> all right yeah thanks for uh coming on and uh rollerblading oh yeah we didn't even talk me. about the fact that the special effects for the dog man are done on rollerblades <laughs> hey it's a it's a it's a fun effect <laughs> we'll just leave it at that it's goofy sometimes and it looks a little weird but could be a fun. lot worse uh yeah <laughs> Thanks for coming on, and remember, even if everyone else mocks it, love the stuff you love. 